listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program and thank you so much for spending some time with me this hour. We have a big hour of radio ahead, lots to discuss, lots to chew over. Coming up, a fascinating inside look into the investigation into the unsolved murders of Honey and Barry Sherman, the wealthy couple found dead in their home nearly two years ago. A investigation that has been called inept and inadequate. There is a $10 million reward out there, folks. And coming up, Kevin Donovan will talk about what kind of person he thinks did this from his investigation and why he thinks that this story is about to change very, very soon. That's coming up. Plus, Megan Murphy speaking at the Toronto Library last night at the Palmerston branch of the library. I'm going to take you there for what happened last night. We're going to dig into it. I'm going to talk more about this controversy and a perspective from me that you might not expect. That is in our second half hour. But we begin at Queen's Park with a new session, new ministers, and a new approach. Is that true? Well, much has been made of a new tone from Queen's Park. We have one for and one against in this argument. On the for side... A panel appointed by the new Social Services Minister, Todd Smith, to address concerns of parents of children with autism has wrapped up its work. The government is expected to make that report public pardon me, as early as today. And the report, according to the Toronto Star, lays out a roadmap for the province to move to a needs-based funding model, moving away from its original revamp that set limits depending on a child's age or family income. Now, the panel apparently does set out some limits for service and tries to keep things within the $600 million available funding for autism services. Amy Molodetsky is a parent advocate with Ontario Autism Coalition and joins me on the line. Amy, if this is all true, and keep in mind, this is a report to the government, not government policy, but what do you make of it? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so I would say it's actually out already. It came out about an hour or so ago, and it's available to read on the ministry website. Um, I agree with many of the recommendations. I like a lot of the recommendations. The only problem is getting the government to actually follow through with them. And that so far has been a big problem with the government. Much has been made of a new tone and a new approach with the new minister. Do you sense that? No. Well, sure. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. The new uh, minister, Todd Smith, he is refreshing compared to Lisa McLeod. However, um, in the beginning, he was reaching out to families and having uh, that listening tour, and it was great, but it kind of seemed just like a delay tactic, just like uh, the report is. He, was, he at first said it was going to come out in the summer and promised us um, action much earlier than this. And then now it's okay, well, by April, a new plan will come out. And today, uh, Monique Taylor asked him in the legislature, well, can you commit to implementing this now or when you will? And they still won't, even though they have the report in their hands. 
And shortly we will be hearing, if not already, we will be hearing from the minister as he exits uh, Queen's Park and the question period speaking to reporters. will be more on this later today. Amy, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. Thank you for having me. So let's back, get back to our central question, what we started with here about the Ford government and new session, new approach, question mark. Is that true? You heard from Amy there, more listening, perhaps better engagement from the Ford government than under the previous administration, or at least under the previous minister in charge of this file. I will just read from Twitter this morning, Rob Ferguson from the Toronto Star tweeting after promising a change in tone, Ford government MPPs are back to clapping everything. Even a Tory backbencher rising to ask a planted question gets a rousing hand. There was talk about this sort of thing ending. And maybe on one side, that is true, but maybe on the other, it is not. So if the revamp of the autism formula, and perhaps this is just a step in that direction, just a report, but maybe a step in the right direction, perhaps that's a win. But stickers continue to be a lose. Ontario's Minister of Energy, Greg Rickford, blaming liberals Liberal staffers for peeling controversial anti-carbon stickers off those gas pumps. And what this follows is Mike Whitehouse, who is chief of staff to the Sudbury Liberal MP, posted to Facebook, quote, A milestone of sorts tonight I ripped off and destroyed my 100th Doug Ford propaganda sticker. Proud to be my part to push back on Ford's grotesque reign of incompetence. Liberals are peeling off stickers! There's no evidence to support that the stickers are not sticking. The only problems they're having with the stickers are people like this gentleman unlawfully peeling the stickers off. So that's the challenge. That is the Minister of Energy of this province. A guy that I would argue has better things to do. Worrying about who's peeling off the stickers. Nothing to see here, folks. Those stickers don't peel off. Well... After this comes up in the legislature, the liberal goes back on social media and says, quote, defacing stickers on gasoline pumps is against the law, and I don't recommend anyone do it. I regret deeply that my actions may have detracted from the genuine and honest work that so many others are doing to fight the global climate crisis. Don't deface the stickers. Minister, is it true? I thought these stickers were just coming off willy-nilly. That's not true? Outside of this, this small group here, the, the stickers have not been a problem, not in my own riding uh, and across the regions that I've traveled. So uh, we, as a matter of transparency, are committed to putting this sticker on. See, they're committed to putting the sticker on. This whole peel and sticker thing, that's, that's fake news. I will tell you my personal experience. I've only seen one of these things in my neighborhood in the Upper Beach, the Upper Beach, that's Newmarket these days, by the way. No, I mean, the Upper Beach is legit. I was, I was gassing it up, and there in, in French, only in French, was the sticker. And it was already half peeled off. So I peeled it off the rest of the way. I did. I did, and I will admit it. I peeled it off the rest of the way, and then I put it back, but I put it back upside down. So I didn't take it. So I didn't break the law, but to suggest that these, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not like I had to work at it. The thing was already pretty much off. 
Keep in mind, folks, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association is mounting a court challenge of its own on these stickers, describing them as compelled speech because the government is forcing gas station owners to post them or else they get a fine. What do you make of this sticky situation? You know what? It ain't sticky. It's just plain tacky. Despite an extensive police investigation and a $10 million reward, the murders of Honey and Barry Sherman remain unsolved. When their bodies were discovered in their Toronto mansion nearly two years ago, police originally treated the case as a murder-suicide. Kevin Donovan is the Toronto Star's chief investigative reporter and author of a new book, The Billionaire Murders, and he joins me now. Kevin, you draw some conclusions in your book about the sort of person responsible for this. What do you think? Well, I think it's somebody that uh, that knew the Shermans. I don't think this is a case of international intrigue. I don't think it's Big Pharma or any of the many conspiracy theories that have uh, floated around there. I think it's somebody who knew the Shermans and knew their movements. Now, here's what Toronto police said on the evening that the bodies were found. I can say that uh, we did not observe any signs of uh, forced entry to the to the building um, and so uh, at this point uh, indications are that we have no outstanding suspect to uh, be going after. Kevin, how much did that hinder the investigation overall? Well, for the first six weeks the police were, uh, they say they were pursuing three theories, one murder-suicide, double murder and uh, and suicide-suicide. I, I think that what they did as they missed the classic 48 hours uh, and, and basically the first six weeks by focusing in on uh, a murder-suicide case that Barry killed Honey and then killed himself. And then since then we've had this $10 million reward. Here's the family lawyer talking about accusations that this was more obvious than police may have realized. For the family, the most perplexing and upsetting aspect of the investigation was the failure to recognize the obvious, that the bodies of Barry and Honey Sherman were staged post-mortem in a very deliberate manner. This entire process has caused needless additional pain and suffering to the Sherman family. Kevin, do you agree with that assertion? Well, I, I think he's right that it caused a lot of pain and suffering, not just to the, the Sherman family, but to all their friends who, who told in that first six weeks uh, stories to police. They said, there's no way this could have happened. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the problem with the private investigation is that they have been papering the Toronto Police uh, over the last uh, year with uh, uh, well over 300 uh, tips that they've gotten in, including one from a psychic, and now the Toronto Police are, are trying to do their own investigation, and they're being hampered by checking out these tips. I always found it odd that the Brian Greenspan chose to ask for the tips to come to uh, the family and not direct to the police. Is this solvable? Will it be solved soon? A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to cross-examine the detective, uh, one of the detectives on the case, and I asked him that question, and he said, we're cautiously optimistic. Kevin Donovan is the author of a new book, The Billionaire Murders. It's available now. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And part of what is so interesting about what Kevin is doing is you heard him see, say the word cross-examine the detective. And he, he doesn't mean he just ran into him at a coffee shop and, and, you know, had a blistering line of questions for him. He means in court. 
Kevin is not a lawyer, but yet is acting on behalf of the Toronto Star, trying to get a number of documents unsealed, including the wills of Barry and Honey Sherman. And those wills have not been unsealed, and it it appears that that may be because of a potential evidence element in there. A bunch of this is speculation, of course, but it does appear that something is afoot, something is developing, and we may have some real movement in that case. A almost two-year-old murder that has stymied the Toronto police. And and keep in mind, here's something else that, you know, we, we like to throw around a lot of criticism of the Toronto police, and myself included sometimes. I will put myself in that column, especially when it comes to our chief and the way he communicates. But I think beyond that, we have to realize that it is an organization that is staffed by human beings, that there are only enough resources to do the job that they have. Basically, they just have the resources and they have to move them around as circumstances warrant. And what we did not realize at the time, two years ago, when the Sherman murders happened, was that the Toronto police were getting close to making arrest in a serial murder case in the village. And obviously that situation was taking up much of their focus and they didn't have the power and the manpower and the resources that they might have otherwise had to put to bear on this investigation, which at this point remains unsolved. One in three Canadians lives next to a major road. Would you put yourself in that category? Do you live close to a major artery? If you do, it means that you breathe a lot more vehicle exhaust, according to a new study. This study, released by the University of Toronto's Southern Ontario Centre for Atmospheric Aerosol Research, measured air pollution in a number of locations in Toronto and Vancouver over the course of two years. And what they found is surprising. Not about the number of vehicles going past your door, but what kind Greg Evans is the study author and joins me on the line. Hi, Greg. Wonderful to be here and great introduction. Thanks, Greg. What did you find about the kind of vehicles? Well, when we went into the study, we thought, like many people, that a busier road with more vehicles means more emissions, means worse air quality. And what we found after making measurements at six sites for two years in two cities is that really it's the number of trucks at those locations. It's what in the vehicle fleet that has a disproportionate contribution. So let me give you a specific is that we we measured beside Highway 401 on the busiest stretch of highway in North America, 400,000 vehicles a day, lots of them trucks. And we measured in a road in downtown Vancouver with 10 times less traffic but a fair number of trucks, the same percent of trucks, about 8% of trucks, which is the same as the 401. And what we found is that they have the same sort of poor air quality. Greg, how do you define truck? Uh, that's a good question. It's a truck, uh, is typically we're looking at a, a larger, heavier vehicle that has a diesel engine. Uh, they may be two pieces, so like a transport truck, they may just be a large vehicle. And the important distinction that I really want to make here is it's not all trucks, it's not even most trucks. It's a small portion of the trucks, which are the older ones, 
or the ones that have had their emission treatment systems tampered with, those are the highly polluting trucks. So we are not talking about the trend in auto vehicle sales to heavier, bigger passenger vehicles. If you look at the number one sales vehicle across Canada year after year after year, it's truck, truck, truck. But that's not the kind of truck you're talking about? Well, actually, that is part of the story, but it's a different part of the story. So one of the things that we looked at are are the metals that come from vehicles, not from the tailpipe, but from our brakes and our tires. And what we found is that those have gone up considerably just in the last four or five years, and we wondered where they are coming from. And so we looked at the metal composition, and it really does correspond a lot to the brakes and the tires, and it does really link exactly, as you said, to the idea that it's heavier vehicles, SUVs and pickup trucks that have gone up, because when you stop with one of those, there's there's more particles coming from the brakes, more particles coming from the tires, and those go into the air. And so we've seen that increase, certainly in downtown Toronto, and we're very interested to see if the same thing is occurring across the country. I I think that the conventional wisdom would be that we have more volume, and that has increased emissions, but at the same time, more modern passenger vehicles, things like, you know, emissions testing and all of that, that it has somehow balanced out. But what you're finding is that it is something completely different than, you know, the regular emissions that we should be concerned about. That's right. So I don't want to take away from the improvements in vehicle technologies. So yes, the emissions per vehicle has gone down. Our vehicles are, are much more sophisticated technologies now, and then we're doing well in terms of developing better vehicles. But yes, there's more of them, and there's different types of emissions because they're getting heavier in the case of the uh, the SUVs and, and the pickup trucks. And there's certainly the big diesel trucks as well. Now, it's a lot longer to switch those over because those are on the roads for a long, long time. And also there is this trend, particularly in Ontario, for some operators to tamper with the emission systems, which totally defeats all the gains that we've had. Greg Evans is study author and director of the Southern Ontario Centre for Atmospheric Aerosol Research, which has kind of a a cool acronym. What is that, Greg? It is SOCAR, and it is uh, an acronym we're proud of just because to say the full name is Really, quite a mouthful. Sure, SOCAR. You just go. Is is it, you just say you're at a cocktail party? You say I, I work for SOCAR. That's right. You sound like you're a spy. I dig it. Thanks, Greg. Thank you so much, uh, and I hope uh, hope people found this interesting and that they're interested in doing something about the, the air quality in our roads. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. When we come back on the Alan Carter Radio program, I am going to take you to the Palmerston Library last night for that enormous crowd that showed up in protest against Megan Murphy as she speaked out, spoke out, pardon me, on gender identity at the Toronto Library. I'm going to take you inside. I am going to tell you what Megan had to say at that, and we're going to talk about whether or not it was proper, whether it was right for the Toronto Public Library system to say yes to hosting this event. Welcome back to the program. 
Thank you so much for spending some time with us this noon hour. Hundreds gathered last night as Megan Murphy spoke about gender identity at a Toronto library. Protesters gathering there outside that library where the self-described feminist spoke inside. She's a freelance writer who runs the website Feminist Current, and she's written that, quote, allowing men to identify as women, unquote, endangers women and undermines women's rights. I want to take you outside the library last night for a snippet of what it sounded like hundreds protesting. Some of the chants there about whose library this belongs to. And we will try and answer that question or or at least get some clarity on it straight ahead. But I want to give you some more perspective. First of all, the Palmerston Library is in downtown Toronto. And Camille Caramali, our global news reporter, covered that event last night. And here from his Twitter feed, this is the audio of the people who came to the event. After the event was over, it was about a half hour in length, and as they were leaving the event, here is what the crowd was doing. That is loud heckling and booing calls of for shame for the people that showed up to this event last night. Pride Toronto has called it a betrayal, has promised consequences, likely to mean a ban on any participation in Pride events if that has not already happened. A similar ban is in place by Vancouver Pride after a Murphy talk at a Vancouver public library. This is the open letter from Pride Toronto. Murphy asserts publicly and repeatedly that trans women cannot be women and will always be men. This is a denial of the lives, experiences, and identities of trans women. It is a crude, hateful, and hurtful assertion. It says that the existence of trans people is invalid and that, therefore, their human rights are up for public debate. Mayor John Tory had expressed similar disappointment that the public library had allowed this event. Here is recent Governor General Award winner Gwen Benaway outside of the event last night saying that the Toronto Library should be a safe space for all and because of this event, because of sponsoring this event, it no longer is for her. I feel very upset that the Toronto Public Library has betrayed its mandate to be a community space which fosters diversity and inclusion and promotes the ideals of a fair and equitable society. I don't feel safe going to the washroom in a public library anymore. That is Gwen Benaway, transgender woman and recent Governor General Award winner. Inside, Murphy talked for 30 minutes. She said, quote, It is ridiculous, but here we are. Another quote, I'm told organizers had to go to 20 different spots before coming to the library. I'm glad we are having this conversation, despite some local activists and the seemingly confused local mayor. Unquote. 
This is from Canadian Press, these quotes I'm taking from, who had a reporter inside. She also said, if you are born male, you remain male for life. She also said that, quote, the trans activist movement has made for the erasure of women. Further quotes, Chris Selly from the National Post was in the event. He recorded this, quote, feminist built and funded transition houses for women escaping male violence. She told the capacity crowd of roughly 120. Further quote, now we are being told that having spaces for women to protect them from male violence is bigoted. Murphy was referring to the Vancouver City Council's decision in March to strip funding for the Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter because it only serves women who are born female. Just one example of what people like Murphy warn is the danger of quote-unquote self-identification as the standard for gender-based human rights. On what basis do women's rights exist, she asked, if the word woman is meaningless, unquote. That from Chris Selly of the National Post, who was at the event last night. What we heard a lot of out front is this was hate speech. To define hate speech, it's abusive or threatening speech or writing that expresses prejudice against a particular group, especially on the basis of race, religion, or sexual orientation. Do you find that in this case, hate speech meets that definition? It meets the definition of hate speech? In law... Canada's Criminal Code covers this, Section 319.1. It's an offense to communicate statements in a public space which incite hatred against an identifiable group where it is likely to lead to a breach of the peace. Does that, does what happened last night, meet that threshold? If our public spaces cannot be places where we have open debate, where we can talk about things that whether we agree or disagree on. If you find Miss Murphy's thing, things that she says to be offensive, do, do we not ask it of ourselves as a community and as a city to allow the expression of views that we find distasteful? I don't believe that what Miss Murphy says is hate speech from the definition that I just gave you. And if it is not, should we allow public opinion to decide who gets to speak? I would say no. I will defend a person's right to say what they will say, their own opinions. It is not hate speech, according to this definition, and it should be allowed. Welcome back to the program. It is the day before Halloween, and I'm about to take some of your calls. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell, about Halloween. I don't know if you've seen the forecast, but it's going to rain sideways tomorrow. And unless you happen to be going as Noah, you are in trouble because you're going to be wet. Uh, and I can tell you that my 11-year-old son, yes, this is, the, this is the scariest thing that will happen tomorrow right here. My 11-year-old son, who is so, so excited about Halloween, he actually said to me, 
uh, yesterday. He said, you know, I only got my uh, costume last week, which is pretty late for me. Normally I have my costume in August. And he does, normally. And it, this is the high point of the entire year for him. And it, you can understand why. He, gets to, he said, I get to dress up. Uh, I get to get free candy. And then I get to eat that candy to a point where I feel sick. Uh, and then I just continue to do that for days and days on end. So it's all good, except for, for us parents, because we have to take them all out. And then they're going to be in their you know fancy uh, costumes. It's going to be rained on. So what I want to hear from you about is this new thing. And I'll to give you the details in just a minute about something happening in Ottawa, where it's a bit of a joke. But Ottawa City Council is being asked to actually move Halloween one day. Can we do it on Friday? When it's a little nicer, can we? Why can't we just do that? It'd be safer. Everybody would be happier. But before we get there, I want to take you to Milton. Mitch Garber has been running a haunted house in front of his home every year in Milton since 2013. He has raised more than forty thousand dollars for the Kidney Foundation in the process, but he was given a real scare recently after a bylaw officer showed up. There'd been a complaint, you see, a resident, a nearby neighbor. Here's Mitch talking about that neighbor. One lady in particular who uh, for the past three years has lodged complaints with uh, members of parliament and our town council, uh, media outlets. She has a problem with some, uh, we have a couple of mannequins on our uh, front yard that uh, are dismembered and it's a female uh, bust, and uh, this year she added a problem of a uh, of a skeleton hanging in a tree. All right. All right. That does sound scary. And mannequins are creepy. And female mannequins, I could see where this could go wrong. Well, the neighbor in question, who has filed complaints now for three consecutive years, tells the Kelly Cotrera show just a while ago that she believes the decorations normalizes violence against women. You know, every six days, a Canadian woman dies at the hands of her partner, right? So I feel sadly that we've just kind of normalized violence against women. Um, if it's male torsos, do I feel, would I feel the same way? I probably wouldn't have maybe perhaps the same visceral reaction. Um, maybe it was chopped up penises, bloody on the lawn, I would. No, I'm sorry. I'm par- pardon? It's ch- chopped up what on the who okay i see you make a point it's gross but i see a point so let's get back to mitch i wasn't doing anything illegal so the town couldn't do anything about the so-called gore or the skeletons the only infraction i was i was on town property so that is what my uh, bylaw infraction was not because of gore, not because of a hanging skeleton, because I was on the town property. And now that he's fixed that, everything will go ahead as planned. The haunted house is still up, it's still running, it's still taking donations for the Kidney Foundation. Except, it's not about intent, is it? At least according to our neighbor. Let's get back to her. And so year three comes along, and so sure enough, the female torsos are out once again. And uh, and then a couple of, was it last week, one of my friends has biracial family, says, I think there's skeletons hanging from the tree this year. She's like, the sun was kind of setting. 
Um, so she's like, can you please, can you go check it out? Um, so I did go check it out, and sure enough, um, there are skeletons in a noose hanging from the tree. Um, like you said, the flesh is darker colored. Um, and so again, it's intent versus impact. It's intent versus impact. I'm wondering how you feel about that. And I'm just going to go out on the limb here. I'm going to go out on a very skinny, crooked limb and say that I think Mitch is going to do more business this year than ever before because people are going to show up and are going to say, all right, maybe complain culture is just getting a little bit out of hand. I mean, Halloween is supposed to be scary, is it not? Speaking of scary, I've mentioned it already, but I'll mention it again. Have you seen the weather forecast? It is going to be horrifying tomorrow. You talk about terror. Environment Canada has issued a special weather statement calling for heavy rain. 30 to 50 millimeters of rain by Friday morning in some places. So, in one place, in Ottawa, the Ottawa Special Events Twitter page... Yeah, they put this thing out that said, hey, can we get Ottawa City to put out a statement delaying Halloween by one day, question mark? And sure, it's a joke. But what do you think? Should we just should we just move it to a better day? I've always said, could we not just get people behind making it a Friday night? If you work, if you have a job, you know, you got to rush home. And then there's the thing where, the, and you know, if you've got kids of a certain age, you know this, they get all hopped up on refined sugars. Then they don't go to bed, and then you got to take them, get them up, and go to school the next day. It's a nightmare. You talk about terror. Lorenzo, who is in Black Creek, are you scared, Lorenzo? Uh, I don't know. You know what? I, I feel horrible for the kids. Halloween is Halloween, right? Mind you, you know what? We dealt with the weather however it came. You took it. You know, I... I, I I guess it would be nice if you could set it back another day, but you know, I have to ask: does it does it kind of spoil things? What if it was two days of rain? You set it back three days. It would almost kind of be kind of reminds me of the Rudolph the Red Nosed uh, Reindeer thing. You know, well, you know what? We're, uh, there's a blizzard, so we'll cancel Christmas. Maybe we'll have it next month. Is it still Christmas? I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I do feel bad for the kids, unless maybe some arrangements made, they can go a bit early. Well, I don't know. Is it supposed to rain the full day? Yeah, it's 40 days and 40 nights, basically. Uh, Thanks, Lorenzo. I appreciate that. Thank you. Tony in Richmond Hill. Are you, you frightened? Doing, are you? Uh, hey, guy, I'm good. How about you? Good, but good. What do you think? Halloween move 24 hours just to give a little bit of relief to the kids? Abolished. Abolished. You don't care for the black arts. It's not a religious holiday or holiday which uh, which has any meaning. All the rest. Have you seen you the know, homes in your neighborhood? I think a lot of people put a no, lot of meaning and a lot of money in into it. Home. In my neighborhood, there is no such double gallery. Nothing. Nothing. Nobody's nobody's decorated. Not a not a pumpkin to no. be seen. The only people who who win a Halloween are the candy makers and the dentists, <laughs> and nobody else. Thank you. Hail Satan, the minister of sinister. Uh, it's a conspiracy by the candy makers. Halloween is a conspiracy by the candy makers. Do you believe that Halloween should stay as it is? I mean, I don't know who's going to possibly put this together. Do we take this to the UN? Do we... Hey, Kofi Annan, what are you doing? I know you're not in charge anymore, but maybe we could get you on side. 
Boutros Boutros Galli, is he still with us? No. Well, maybe he could help us from beyond the pale. That's spooky. Mike, Mike is on the line. Mike, should we change Halloween? No, no, of course not. I mean, a rainy Halloween, a green Christmas, Super Bowl on a Sunday instead of a Saturday night. These are the crucifixes that we have to bear in the first world. <laughs> Man, stand back from Mike because there's a lightning bolt coming out of the sky. All right, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Let's go to Chris in Niagara. What do you think? Hey, Alan. You know what? I, my heartstrings were starting to starting to get tugged here at the beginning of this. Uh huh. And then what uh, happened? You hardened your heart? No, no, no. It wasn't that. I was going back to my memories, you know, and so on. But I'll, in my opinion, very few of these kids today have the same kind of disappointments that uh, have to deal with. They should get. You think they should get more coal at Christmas, more you know, rocks in their well, trick or treat well, bags. You know, trying to you know romanticize everything, and 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 we seem to be able to do that for our children. Let Mother Nature take its course, and let these let parents and and kids all have to deal with a disappointment. Because it's, it's very rare. I, I have I have not heard for a call to, for Halloween Halloween to be so Darwinian. I dig it. Thanks, Chris. Chris, I appreciate that. Thank you. I dig that. We just we send out all the kids. We get them all dressed up. You see, then we send them out for candy, and then some of them come back, and some of them don't. And the ones that come back, well, the better gene pool. You see, now that is scary. Hey, how long, do I got time for? I got Popeyes. I love this. Uh, Police in Houston, Texas, are searching for a man that they believe threatened Popeye's employees with a gun because, you know, you've heard about this, the popular chicken sandwich. Popeye's didn't have it. Here's what happened. Police say Joshua Robichaux and some friends were in the drive-thru, became upset that they didn't have the sandwich, so they tried to get into the lobby. That's when Robichaux allegedly pulled up his shirt, displaying a gun, and said, quote, I'll shoot this expletive up. The group was gone before police arrived two weeks ago. Police got a Crime Stoppers tip. Court records say identifying the gunman as Robichaux, a man with quite a criminal history and distinctive face tattoos. A warrant is out for his arrest. <laughs> I'm going to shoot this expletive up, said the guy with the face tattoo. I'm, here's what's going to happen. Somebody, some kid's going to say that to you. <laughs> if you I'm going to shoot this place up if I don't get the little chocolate bars.